Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to SoCal Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host and defender of the planet Pluto. There was a quiz in the New York Times asking you, if you think Pluto's a planet, forget the science and what makes a planet a planet. If you are a little bit older and Pluto used to be a planet, you feel bad. About 70% of you think that Pluto should still be a planet. So I guess that's how we're going to decide it. Anyway, not really our not really our choice there, and who really cares? I guess you care if you're from Pluto. Anyway, welcome to Southern California Live. It's great to be with you today. I am on here every day on KKLA from 3 to 5 each and every weekday, bringing you to the table for some encouragement, some fun, some conversation about the issues of the day from a Christian perspective. And what that lets us do is get down into the depths a little bit more, a little bit more behind the story, to not talk about things the same way that you hear on just about all the other shows. We want to get into the personal side of things and really ask some questions from a Christian perspective. And we'd like to have you join the conversation. You can call me at any time to join the conversation. 888-LA-TALKS is the phone number, 888-528-2557. That's 888-528-2557. I encourage you to put that right into your phone. That way, when you feel like, oh, I got to talk about this, you already have the number. It's already there. And if I say it too fast, it doesn't matter. All you got to do is say hello to your phone or however you call it from your phone with your voice, and there you go. You've got it. You can also email me at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. I know that a lot of you are at work or unable to have a phone conversation, but you want to join the conversation. So email me. SoCalLive at KKLA.com. This hour, there's lots of different things we can talk about and uh, lots of horrific stuff going on in Ukraine, lots of tension and concern about what Putin's next move might be. And I'm monitoring all of that so we can jump right to it if we need to do it. But uh, And we may get to some of that on today's show. But one of the big stories today, and we'll talk about this this hour, is the beginning of confirmation hearings for our new Supreme Court nominee, Katanji Brown-Jackson, who will be on the Supreme Court. I think it's fair to say that unless something crazy happens, uh, that's going to happen. And I wanted to talk about that from a few different perspectives today, really, really just one perspective, but to kind of go into it. I realize that, you know, we have a Democratic president. If you're a Democrat and you voted for Joe Biden, then this is something that you are more likely excited about from the standpoint of the point of view that you have as far as how the Supreme Court decides things. And this this uh, selection will not change the makeup of the Supreme Court. It's not going to be as wild and crazy as what we've seen more recently, where the court moved from kind of conservative to a lot more conservative. Um, so I don't think I don't think this is going to be as contentious as some people say. There's some people trying to make something out of it, try to make something contentious, but there's a lot of politics that has nothing to do with her. It has to do with the election coming up this year and what's being formulated. I'll talk about that in a minute. And I wanted to talk about her and just get into uh, who she is a little bit and also make some comments maybe about her faith. And I think she's a, she's a different, she has a different background in some respects than most of the other picks have. Uh, She's Protestant. She used to work on the board for a Baptist school. Did you know that? And uh, that's, in fact, one of the things from the left that she, in previous hearings, has had some problems with. They're asking her why she's served with Baptist schools that have biblically appropriate statements of faith. And her answer's been a little wishy-washy on that. But I think that, um, you know, it's an interesting pick. It's I don't think she's—now, I could be completely wrong. You never know with Supreme Court justices. She could be as left as anybody on there, but she also may not be— 
uh, as left as some of you on the left would like her to be. And, you know, she might be, uh, she's probably not going to come across as uh, a secret conservative. She's not going to be, you know, one of these Supreme Court justices like Dale Souter, who uh, turns out to be more on the other side than what people expect. But there are some things that I think are really good about this nominee. Now, there's some things that I don't agree with. We don't really know what her opinion is about issues like abortion. She hasn't really written a decision about that specifically. She's been involved in a couple of cases where that's that subject is there, but what she was writing about are more technicalities, and the technicalities about abortion protesters and how close they can stand to the opening of a clinic, a Planned Parenthood or something. And she's talked about you know, a few things that are just sort of technical in the law, but doesn't really reveal what she thinks. So we don't know. My opinion is Joe Biden's not picking somebody who is pro-life or leans pro-life or might accidentally say she's pro-life. That's probably the one question that is asked as far as this goes. However, I think that wherever you're at on the political spectrum, number one, she's not going to change the makeup of the court that much. Number two, there are a lot of worse picks out there that could have happened uh, that did not. And so I want to talk about that uh, today. You can join the conversation at any time, 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557. And, of course, all of this is we don't really know. You know, the interesting thing about Supreme Court justices is that in many ways you don't know how they're going to rule because you don't know what cases they might see. And some are get a lot into the technicalities of it, and so they surprise you sometimes in how they rule. And other times they're very political, and you know exactly how they're going to rule just because of the subject matter. And we have some of those. We don't really know. We don't really know what she's going to do. But I thought I'd talk about it from the standpoint of an an op-ed that was in the Los Angeles Times this morning, uh, actually this weekend, Sunday. And the op-ed is called The Sickening Republican Smear Campaign Against Ketanji Brown Jackson. Now, I opened that because I thought, well, I haven't heard that campaign yet. Uh, you know, did she uh, was she a bully in high school or junior high? How far back are we going to go this time? I mean, we've been, we've been in high school, what people have done in high school. Is it possible that 20 years from now, 30 years from now, nobody will be qualified to sit on the Supreme Court because of something they posted on Facebook? That we're just, all of us are disqualified because of, of what we've put on our social media because you posted that picture. That's possible. I'll tell you what, as a, as a pastor who hires people to be pastors on my staff, one time I got down to five, five finalists for a youth director position. And I don't know if I should say this, you know, but, you know, you, you Google their names and things come up. That's what I think every employer probably does that. And uh, you know what? You Google them. And uh, then I had no candidates because of things that get posted. You just never know. You got to be careful. You got to be careful what you, you put out there and what is public. Um, so you never know what's going to happen. So anyway, in this op-ed, I thought, what is this this campaign? What are they going to say? And I went through it. And he begins by by a, a writer named Erwin uh, Cherminsky at the LA Times. The fight over the nomination of Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson for the Supreme Court is powerful evidence that our political system is broken like never before. You know, I'm just, I guess I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't break down, but so far, this hasn't been as bad as the last three or four or five or ten. All right. Um, this was, by the way, here's a, a clip of uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson and her opening statement today. Go ahead and play clip one. And on the shoulders of so many who have come before me, including Judge Constance Baker Motley, who was the first African-American woman to be appointed to the federal bench and with whom I share a birthday. 
And like Judge Motley, I have dedicated my career to ensuring that the words engraved on the front of the Supreme Court building, equal justice under law, are a reality and not just an ideal. So she began to share. She didn't speak for very long today, and today was kind of introductory, and most of the senators uh, just make a bunch of speeches um, about different things that really have a lot to do with their reelection campaigns if they're coming up for election. You get sound bites. It gives you an opportunity for those sound bites. Uh, that's what happens. And uh, a lot was made of the fact that President Biden promised as a campaign promise that when he got the opportunity to nominate a Supreme Court justice that he would nominate a black woman, and he fulfilled that. And you know what? He took a lot of flack for that. And I would say he probably just shouldn't say it. But what I mean by that is every other president has picked somebody based upon their race or their gender. We've seen this for a long time. Do you think that when um, President George H.W. Bush picked Clarence Thomas um, when he was replacing uh, a black justice, the first ever black justice on the Supreme Court, that that wasn't on purpose? Of course it was. He didn't say that. But do you think that there was any consideration that Thurgood Marshall would be replaced by a white man? Probably not. You know, they would have said, I'm, you know, Bush probably did. He probably came out and said, no, nope, I'm going to pick somebody who's the most qualified, not going to consider gender or race or any of that. He probably said that. But he picked Clarence Thomas, who, by the way, is qualified Although many of the people who don't particularly like his brand of politics try to say he's not. He's super qualified for that role, and he's been a very good justice. And we should be praying for him. He is in the hospital with some kind of flu-like symptoms. He's 73. They say it's not COVID. Uh, Would they tell us if it's COVID? I don't know. Is there going to be conspiracy theories that uh, Republicans are are propping up him the same way that that people said that the liberals were propping up uh, Justice Ginsburg? I don't know. Anyway, we want to pray that he does well. You don't think that when President Trump replaced Ruth Bader Ginsburg with a woman that that was deliberate? Of course it was. I think that this kind of thing happens all the time. So maybe you shouldn't say it, but here's the other thing is she is qualified compared to other justices, especially the recent ones in the last few years. She's very qualified. She's going to do quite well. Did you know that Supreme Court justices actually have to take a test? So the president can nominate a Supreme Court justice, okay? But you know, it doesn't uh it doesn't guarantee that that nomination is going to kind of come through because they actually have to take a little test. So all the politics and all the stuff that you're going to see in the political questions that they get asked and the back and forth and the fighting and the 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 mudslinging and all that that we've seen for so long, behind the scenes they do have to take a test to make sure that they can do the job. Behind the scenes, there is a qualification statement, thankfully, right? Otherwise, who knows who's going to get on the Supreme Court? Sometimes I, I hear people say, well, they're going to just nominate you know, anybody for the Supreme Court, you know, some actor or actress. They can't. They have to pass a test. Um, it is the law. That's how that works. Anyway, she's going, to do, she's going to be very qualified. People on both sides say that she's very qualified. It's not really an issue. All right, so getting into this op-ed from the LA Times yesterday, He begins and he says this, uh, yet her confirmation hearings, which begin on Monday today, are likely to be highly contentious. She is unlikely to get the votes of more than a Republican senator or two, lacking any credible basis for opposing her. Republicans are turning to unfair smears. There are a couple of those things that are going out there. But I I think I think unless something comes out now, what the Republicans are going to do 
is they're going to try to say that she's soft on crime, and that's where they're headed, okay? They're criticizing her because she was a public defender. I think she's the first, the first public defender being nominated to the Supreme Court. And I understand that, that concern, you know, and uh, she, you know, that somebody's a defender. We don't necessarily, I think, have a public, you know, a, a very positive view of public defenders because so often it's not as much about justice for some as it is about getting getting the client off, even if they're guilty. Uh, although I'm not sure that that's true about most public defenders. I think you hear about the ones who are doing that, but I think most public defenders, they try to do their job. It's important that we recognize, though, that in our system, having a legal defense, a public defender, if you need one, if you can't afford an attorney, it matters a lot in our system. It's it's something huge in our system. It's one of the things that makes our system the best system on earth. So we really shouldn't get upset about this. You know, sometimes in our system, you know, like I said, the defenders do something wrong. They shouldn't be trying to get people off uh, when they are guilty, but they should be there to make sure that the prosecutors do their due diligence and be able to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. That matters. It matters. Think about if you are charged of a crime and you do not have a good lawyer, a good defender, and the evidence against you is pretty shaky, and let's say you didn't do it. Or let's say you did do one of the things you're charged with, but maybe you didn't do counts two and three. Well, you need a defender to make sure you only get convicted on the one, but not two and three. See what I'm saying? It it matters. So just on the basis of what her profession has been as a defender, we should not count that against her. Nobody should do that. Uh, she's being accused of representing you know, a Guantanamo detainee, so she defends terrorists. All right, well, in our system, we defend the terrorists. Uh, I don't know how that went. I didn't look into it, but it's just, it's just a weird thing to get bent out of shape about. And the thing is, is that I don't think there's a whole chorus of people attacking her for that. I think there's Senator Josh Hawley and a couple other people who are, like I said, making sound bites, but there's just not a lot out there. Here's what I'm wondering. Are we so cynical that we just think every one of these is going to be nasty? Is it possible to come back from the abyss? Is it possible that – I remember when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, the jokes were before President Trump actually nominated anybody that whoever the next nominee is, they are probably some kind of mass murderer and cannibal because we just say the worst things about people and often without any sort of proof. Often we bring stuff up and maybe there's some witness who comes forward and it's hard to tell. It, you know, Justice Kavanaugh and his accuser, you know, you, you watch that and you go, well, maybe she's telling the truth, but it was 30-something years ago, something people did in high school. And if, if that happened, it's terrible. But, you know, somebody coming forth who doesn't remember pretty significant details, you just you can't do that. You know, we have to live in a country where people can't just accuse you of things because they don't like your politics. I don't think that's going to happen here. I think there's going to be some accusations of things. You know, the the uh, somebody from the Republican National Committee said that Jackson has a, quote, pattern of advocating for terrorists and child predators. Uh, what other criminals has Katanji Brown Jackson been an advocate for? And Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said her supporters look at her resume and deduce a special empathy for criminals. You know what that's about? That's about every single Republican argument against the Democrats coming up in this year's election. Every single Every single Republican running in the United States this year is going to attack the Democrat on being soft on crime. You know why? 
because there's been a bunch of Democrats, highly high profile ones who are very soft on crime and we have terrible crime happening. That's the politics of it. And there's a legitimate hook in that not every Democrat running, not even most of them are quote soft on crime, at least as far as their record goes, or maybe they're not, they don't have a lot to do with it, but a lot of them have been, a lot of them have supported policies that are showing to have not worked and have increased the crime. What's happening in our cities, especially out here in California, all of our big cities, is pretty terrible. People just breaking into uh, retail stores and just taking stuff and just leaving and not being able to be prosecuted about it. So it's a political issue, and the Republicans and the politics of this are going to try to find a place where they can pin that on her. And that would be the only way that she doesn't get confirmed. However, the Republicans are also political enough to know that if they do that to her, then Biden's just going to pick somebody else. And that other candidate may not be as acceptable as Katanji Brown-Jackson is to them. Are you following me with the politics? I just kind of want to get us underneath a lot of what's being said, because a lot of what we're going to hear in these hearings have nothing to do with her or her confirmation process. It has to do with commercials that are coming up this summer and this fall. Are you with me? That's what's going on. You can join our conversation here, 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557. And I think as believers, it's important that we get underneath and we kind of understand what's happening and that we understand both sides do this. It has been, this, the thing about this op-ed that's kind of shocking to me is how this writer is talking about how terrible it is already. And it's, it's nothing like the Kavanaugh uh, confirmation where he was accused, uh, he, in fact, he writes uh, that Brett Kavanaugh faced serious allegations of sexual assault from Christine uh, Blasey Ford. How serious were there? I mean, they're seri- it's a serious accusation. I don't mean to say that, and maybe she's telling the truth, but something that happened 30 years ago is pretty rough. Or Amy Comey Barrett's confirmation was rammed through, this is what he says, in less than six weeks after Justice Ginsburg died. That's true. But then he says, even though the same Republicans refused to allow a vote on Merrick Garland, President Obama's nominee to replace Scalia, on the grounds that the Senate should not consider a nominee in a presidential election year. That's not exactly what they said. Clearly, Mitch McConnell was manipulating the system. And it worked, by the way. They denied president. Politically, it worked. Not saying it was the right thing to do, but it worked. They denied Merrick Garland's seat in the court. President Trump wins and uh, got to nominate his own guy. Uh, What actually was true, though, is they said this isn't done when we know we're going to change presidents. So no matter what, in the 2016 election, we were going to have a brand new president. And Mitch McConnell's argument was, if we're going to have a new president, then we should let that president uh, have his pick. Um, That had been done maybe once before. And this was different. Uh, The Amy Comey Barrett one was different because we didn't know for sure that there would be a new president. Trump was running for reelection. So it's it's a technicality. But what he says here in this article is not exactly true. And then he just talks about this being a toxic mess. I think it is a toxic mess, but I don't think we're going to see it as harsh this time. The biggest reason, honestly, is because it doesn't change the liberal conservative makeup of the court. I think that it might tilt a little more to the right or a little more to the left, depending on how she actually decides cases. But I don't think this is going to be that harsh. We're going to see a lot of yelling about crime in America because crime is terrible and they're going to try to pin it on her and by them, a few people in that committee. But unless something comes out, unless she's written something or unless she's advocated for some of these policies that our district attorney 
and district attorneys in some of our states have been uh, supporting the idea that we don't want to prosecute people, essentially, uh, and especially for violent crimes or uh, large theft. Unless she's got something that puts her in that camp, none of that's going to fly. All of it's going to happen there because you can use it later in your campaign ad that says, see, I'm tough on crime. Look at what I said to her. In the, in the, that's, that's what this is about. I hate to say it. That's how politics works. It's, it's very much about the soundbite. It's very much about thinking about the next election. And often people are, are tied up in that. Uh, when we get back in just a couple of moments here, I want to talk about her faith a little bit. I've been looking into what does she believe? You know, for me as a believer, there's left and right, and there are things that I, I'm going to have differences of opinion of with people, and you are too, based upon their philosophy of how to be a judge. Are they an originalist? Are they a constructionalist? What are their different views on those things? I care about that, and I care about you know lots of different positions they might have on certain things, but I also care about their faith. Where are they coming from? Do they believe in God? Do they, you know, and if they do, what God do they believe in? How do they approach their faith? Where are they coming from? I think that's a really good thing. We don't know everything. We might learn some things this this week in these hearings, but I have some ideas. I'll share those with you here in just a moment. You're welcome to join the conversation here on SoCal Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. You can join the conversation by calling 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557 is the number. You're listening to your Monday edition of SoCal Live. I'll be back in just a few moments. Do not go away. Welcome back, everybody. SoCal Live, Scott Furrow with you today. This fine Monday, we're really glad to have you with us today. We're talking about Supreme Court Justice nominee, Katanji Brown-Jackson, and her hearings began today. And one of the points I was making before the break is I don't think it's going to be as contentious as what we've seen recently. I really don't. I think, And I think a big reason for that simply is because it doesn't change the political makeup of the court. I think that's part of it. Um, and that, that usually happens. It's certainly not going to be anything like Amy Coney Barrett or Brett Kavanaugh's hearings, which were just a mess and, you know, just super, super negative. I think there'll be some people who try and who, who go there. But like I said, I think it has something to do with her, you know, with, uh, with the campaign that's coming about uh, crime. So they're going to try to make her look like she's soft on crime. But a lot of that's going to have to do with political um, candidates and political commercials are going to run this fall because that's going to be the that's going to be a huge thing Republic, for Republicans. I think Republicans probably win big on the crime issue, maybe as much as gas prices or anything else. Who knows? You know, politics uh, is very very odd. All that could be completely upside down by the time you get to October November. But uh, I think that's what it has to do with. But I wanted us to take a little bit of time and. Uh, think about her faith. Where's she coming from? Have you thought about this before? I think it's it doesn't matter in the long term in a sense of the decisions that she makes and what she puts down on paper, um, her ethnicity and those kinds of things, because, you know, what you write down and how you deal with the law, your your personal experience certainly has something to do with that. I don't mean that. But I mean that a hundred years from now, it won't. There will likely be a whole lot of other uh, African American women who've been on the court and people from all kinds of backgrounds. Right now, I think it does matter, though. I think that for a lot of you, it's a huge deal, and I think it truly matters. It'll matter in the way she approaches things, 
her background on the court and how she approaches the law and her experience. You can't help but do that no matter who you are. But I think it also matters symbolically uh, for um, little black girls who are living here and wondering what am I able to accomplish. And people really of uh, any background can look and go, you know what, in America, I can accomplish anything. As hard as it is, as as many obstacles as there are, as much as there is racism and, and things to overcome, it matters. When President Obama won, it mattered. It mattered a lot. And it said something great about our country, whether you voted for him or not, whether you agree with his policies or not. The fact that our country would elect as its leader any ethnic minority, that doesn't happen very often. Anywhere in world history. That typically doesn't happen. That's something amazing about the United States, that we would do that. And these things matter. It encourages us. It's something that's still super great about our country. Uh, So I I think that it matters. I thought to myself, you know, what I would like to see as far as a nominee to the Supreme Court goes one day is a Protestant. She's a Protestant. But I'd also like to see somebody who is more of an evangelical and not somebody who went to an Ivy League school. She went to Harvard, and everybody on the Supreme Court went to either Yale or Harvard or Amy Coney Barrett went to Notre Dame. Everybody's Ivy League. Everybody almost who served on that Supreme Court is always Ivy League, same group of schools, which means in some way they all have the same way of thinking. And I think that there's other backgrounds too that it would be nice if people uh, were able to get to that level. Uh, but don't toss out, you know, just in the name of, yeah, she needs to make good decisions and we should care a lot about what she puts down on paper whenever she's the deciding vote. It certainly matters what she believes and how she makes those decisions. All of those have, have a long-term effect. But it's, it's a great thing that an African-American woman can get to the place in this country where she can be on the Supreme Court where that was totally impossible not too long ago. Um, And even if you don't agree with where she's coming from, and I'll probably have a whole lot of disagreements ultimately, I think it's great. That part is great. Um, Everybody's made in the image of God. And when we get to heaven, we're all going to be sitting there together at the the banquet feast of the Lamb. And for all eternity, uh, I think it's a good thing. So where's she coming from as uh, in her faith? Well, ABC News has been uh, digging into this. It's interesting because her faith if there is an issue from people on the left, it might be her faith. There's some things that make some people uncomfortable. Uh, and the fact is that she is a Protestant and that she used to serve on the board of the Montrose Christian School, which is a was the school's out of business now, actually. Um, but back in the day, it was a Baptist-affiliated school. And she served on that board, and she's had a lot to say uh, about her faith, apparently, over time, I couldn't find this a little while ago, so ABC News has dug through it. When she was a freshman at Harvard, uh, she this article from ABC says she broke down in tears in the university library steps, overcome by homesickness and seeking the Lord. She said, even in my loneliness, I thank God for the opportunity he'd given me, for the firm foundation he had provided, and also how far I had come. Later on, she was on a private Baptist-affiliated high school in Rockville, Maryland, where she served on the advisory board. And in a speech that she gave, a commencement speech that she gave to that school, she said the Bible is filled with people who, through faith, were able to see beyond the present to a world of hope and glory. She said, according to a copy of that speech, she said, God knows what lies ahead of each of us. The best that you can do as you look forward is to take the long view. 
And I, I look at that. I think that's kind of an interesting view. I think that her, she writes later that, um, I do know that one can only come this far by faith, she said in an interview last month. I don't know how deep into her faith she's getting. So when she was questioned about this before the Congress um, for her last appointment, she did back off a little bit from what that school teaches because that Baptist school where she sat on the board, where she spoke at, um, has some very conservative views. The statement of faith at that school was kind of your standard uh, Southern Baptist faith and message uh, statement. Uh, I'm not a Southern Baptist, actually, um, but if you are, you you deal with that kind of statement all the time. And it says, you know, Baptists, we don't have creeds, right? We just have these statements, and some people turn them into creeds uh, and all kinds of things. But it says that all people are created equal, and it expresses the biblical doctrine of the sanctity of all people, whatever their gender or ethnicity. That statement of faith that she signed off on says, uh, Genesis one twenty seven, male and female, he created them. Uh, we are each loved fully and un- unconditionally by the God who is love, First John 4, 8. As St. Augustine noted, this is reading from the statement of faith from the school she was at, God loves each of us as if they were only one of us. And we are each welcomed into the family of God. There is, and then it quotes Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, and you are one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28. That says a lot, that this is her background. And as I'm getting into this, I think this is a way that we know how to pray. I think for a lot of our leaders, we're not really sure where their foundations are when it comes to faith. President Biden has a Catholic background, but I don't know what, you know, is he Catholic because uh, he, and he attends mass? Did he go to, was he confirmed? I suppose he probably was. Does he have any theological understanding at all of Christianity? You never know. You know, there's lots of people who go to church or they went to church or they were baptized, but they don't know anything. I have no idea. Lots of, most of our presidents have, and Supreme Court justices have claimed to be Christian or Jewish. Um, and the Christian ones, some of them have had a lot more to say about the faith. Others, we're not really sure if they really believe that or if they're just checking a box. We don't know. I find it interesting with this nominee that we at least have some things that we can look at, and it teaches us, I think, how we can pray for her. You're listening to Southern California Live. You can join the conversation. Any comments you have about our Supreme Court justice pick or the process, how this works, 888-528-2557. You can share your thoughts. Join our conversation today, 888-LA-TALKS is that number, 888 888- Five two eight two five five seven. You can also send an email to SoCalLive at KKLA.com. So this is her background. She has a Christian background, a conservative Christian background, at least that she has at least enough where she knows the language where she served on the board of a Baptist Protestant school, Southern Baptist, it was. And she has been questioned about these views. It was highly controversial because she, that school has made statements such as marriage is between one man and one woman. And marriage is between one man and one woman who have always been one man and one woman. That's something that she signed off on. Now, she hedged in an interview in front of the Senate a couple of years ago. Uh, she said, well, I didn't necessarily read or follow all of that. And, okay, so that's the, that's, the, that's the dodge, right? She didn't really say she's for it. She just said, I didn't know it said all of that. Is that true? If you are a if you are a justice, if you are educated the way she is, do you not read the statement of faith at the school we were going to serve on the board? 
Um, do you not? Maybe you don't. I mean, let me ask you, do you read the statement of faith at the church you might go to? Do you spend some time actually reading? What does this church actually think? And then you got to say, does the church actually think that? A lot of churches, you have, you know, there's a photocopied statement of faith that's on the website, but nobody at that church has ever read it or believed it. You have to go to the church to find out these days if that church really believes what they say they believe. Um, I think that uh, she has a moral foundation. In 2017, according to ABC, she spoke at Bradley Hills Presbyterian Church in Bethesda, Maryland, for an adult education program uh, that was about justice. And she said the Bible is filled with stories that have as their subtext the fact that men must face consequence in the wake of their moral failings. And I think, to me, I'm, I'm happy about that. I'm wondering what she thinks ultimately about marriage. What does she think ultimately about gender issues? And how do we navigate that that has become such a strange and unusual thing in our country today? Would you pray for her in this regard, whether you're for her or against her, whether you're liberal or conservative, wherever you're coming from? This is a woman who has a Christian background. She, at some point, has learned some things about the Bible. She claims to be a Christian. Uh, She has at one point signed off on lots of what we might call conservative points of view. Uh, Most Christian churches hold those points of view to a certain position. And they're very different from what you would think from a liberal Democratic nominee to the Supreme Court. I think that we should pray for her. Wherever her faith is, if she knows Jesus, that she would rely on him because she's going to have more pressure maybe than anybody when it comes to some of these things that are coming going to come before her. Just some thoughts on this and give you some background on the Supreme Court Justice nominee. You can join the conversation, 888-528-2557, 888-LA-TALKS is the number. I'm Scott Furrow. This is your Monday edition of SoCal Live. We'll be right back in just a couple of moments. Stay tuned. SoCal Live, welcome to our Monday edition. If you're just joining us, if you've been with us the whole hour, we're so glad to have you for this whole time. Scott Furrow with you today, and we're talking about President Biden's Supreme Court nominee, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, who began her confirmation hearings today. And we're getting into her faith a little bit. And what when we left before the break, I was talking to you about her background as a Protestant Christian that she was on the board of a Baptist school. The school is now defunct. Um, that She was on the board back in 2010, 2011. But this is her background. We actually have somebody on the court who has a Protestant background, which doesn't happen very often. Uh, everybody on the court right now is either Catholic or Jewish. And that's typically been the makeup of the court, at least for not, I should say, not typically throughout all of our history, but in the last uh, few decades, that's been the case. And I'm curious uh, I'm curious about where she's going to stand. We might get to hear this this week, and she's going to be asked about her time at that school because of the things that are in the statement of faith at that school, that at that school, the school made a very clear claim that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. The school made a very clear claim that uh, issues like uh, gay marriage were wrong, morally wrong, homosexuality, any any sexuality outside the confines of one man and one woman together, very conservative 
Christian typical statements you find in statements of faith. And she at some point has signed off on those things, although when asked about it during her recent hearings last year, she was being put on the uh, Court of Appeals that she's on now, the D.C. District Court, actually. Uh, she was asked about it. She said she doesn't necessarily agree with all of the statements, but she didn't get into it too much. And the reason, the reason she's being asked is because Justice Amy Coney Barrett also had a similar uh, issue in her confirmation process. She's obviously re- uh, nominated by a Republican president, and she has been in Catholic schools, conservative schools. And the Democrats, when questioning her, said that because of her views on these subjects, she should not be allowed to participate in hot-button issues that where she couldn't be impartial because of her religious faith. I'm wondering if it's going to be the same thing, because the school's website, the Montrose Baptist Church that she was affiliated with, um, says the church is still around. It says that Christians are obligated to oppose homosexuality, abortion, same-sex marriage, um, even advocates a wife, a wife's subservience to her husband. All of those things would contrast with planks of the Democratic platform. So it's interesting that that is her background. She's going to get questioned about it, maybe more of a sort of revenge questioning for Amy Comey Barrett, uh, Coney Barrett, because she was asked all those things and then told she's not allowed to have an opinion uh, about them because of her religious background. I wonder if the same people will say that about her. Now, her response is typical of justices and that any personal views about religion, she said, would never come into my service as a judge. So that's what she's going to say. That's what she said in the past. All right. And what she said about the statements, she said, quote, this is according to ABC News. I've served on so many boards and I don't necessarily agree with all of the statements of all the things that those boards might have had in their materials. Uh, OK, I, that's, I assume that's what she's going to say. I wonder how far that's going to go. 888-528-2557 is the phone number if you want to join the conversation here on SoCal Live, 888-52-TALKS, 888-LA-TALKS is what that number is. You can join our conversation. What do you think? What do you think about this? I'm I'm hopeful. I I would hope that a person who gets to be on the Supreme Court, my opinion is they need to be somebody who tries to interpret the Constitution for what the framers actually meant. Uh, that's my uh, persuasion with it. I think that that is what makes our country great. I think that some of the reason that we have problems today, in fact, is because we're not following the Constitution. People attacking the Constitution, what's interesting to me is sometimes what they're attacking is how things aren't going well, but the reason they're not going well is because we're not really following the Constitution. An article by Tim Sandifer, um, who is a um, court watcher, really smart guy, uh, who writes a lot about the Supreme Court and uh, legal decisions and things like this. He writes, and he would be more on the conservative libertarian scope of things. He basically says this. He says one of the things that he uh, is interested in watching for her is whether or not she is going to support government bureaucratic agencies that exercise lots of power over our, our daily lives. It matters a lot. Why is it that you were mandated to wear a mask? Why is it that you were mandated to get a vaccine or show uh, your vaccine card? Why is it that we had shutdowns? All the stuff that we've had to deal with. What laws were passed? Meaning what laws were passed by the California state legislature that went through both houses and then were signed by the governor? Answer, zero. In many of our counties, a unelected bureaucrat, health official, made the rules on her own, on his own. 
and we had to follow them, or so we felt. And we felt these sort of rules. Whatever you think about it, you have to to you know, whether or not you agreed or not is one thing, but you need to look at the process. Should we have bureaucrats or government agencies have the power and authority to cause businesses to close, to cause certain rules to happen on businesses? How far can that go? And on a national scheme of things, one of the things that we have going on in our country today is government agencies, Food and Drug Administration, all these different administrations are passing all these rules about environment, about education, about other stuff that have not gone through the Congress that aren't really laws. And she has shown some ability to not really be in favor of that. I think that that's good. I think that there should be a skepticism about assertions of assertions of power by non-elected bureaucrats. That's a huge deal, my friends. It, it really matters. If you're worried about your freedoms in this country, if you are worried about, uh, in the last couple of years especially, about how decisions are getting made and who has the power to make them, uh, this matters. It matters a lot. And she's somebody who has a lot of skepticism about this, and I think that that's, that's really good. Um, so there's a lot of hope uh, for that. And when it comes to church stuff, I'm interested. I'm interested in in how she going to rule when things come to her as far as the church goes and religious liberty. A couple of years ago, there was a case. Does your church have a preschool? There's a lot of stuff going on with preschools right here in California right now. Preschools getting shut down by government agencies because the three-year-olds aren't wearing a mask properly or because they, the agencies feel like they were not uh, these preschools were not enforcing mask policies uh, for the little kids. Uh, a preschool in San Diego, Foothills uh, Christian Preschool, was shut down completely, and the director told she's not allowed to work in a preschool facility, a child care facility, for life. They banned her for life because, according to this government agency, they weren't putting the masks on the little kids. Uh, they weren't enforcing that rule uh, properly. This is uh, whatever you think about, whether you think kids should wear masks or not, I want you to just think about what it means that unelected officials get to make rules of that magnitude for your career, for your life. One of my hopes for the court and for our country is that we stop doing that. Remember when President Biden had all that big stack of executive orders on his desk when he first became president, and he basically just undid a whole lot of Trump decisions. Um, the reason he was able to do that is because Trump was able to make those decisions by executive order, but it didn't go through the Congress. It wasn't some law. And so the next president can come along and just reverse it just as fast as the previous president did it. Donald Trump did that to a lot of things that President Obama did. His first day in office, first week in office, whole bunch of executive orders reversing decisions made by President Obama. The one thing that President Trump could not reverse that President Obama did at least with the, from the standpoint of just making a decision, is Obamacare. And Obamacare was sort of defunded, and in some ways it's torn apart legislatively. But President Trump couldn't just walk in and do that. You know why? Because Obamacare actually was passed by the Congress and then upheld by the Supreme Court. That's the way our system is supposed to work. And whether you agree or not is, is one thing, but that's the way our system is supposed to work. And one of the things that we're losing in our country, my friends, is the legislative process. Our, our Congress and both parties are doing it, are very happy to let these government agencies make decisions because then they're not held accountable for it by the voters. 
the Congress people. And they're very happy to make the presidents from Bush, Obama, Trump, and now Biden. Uh, executive orders are increasing. And part of it is because the Congress doesn't want to act or they cannot act. This is bad. This is not good for our democracy. This is not good for our freedoms. This is a really big deal. And I would call on you and your political activism, whatever it is, to pay attention to this. Who are the local bureaucrats who are making decisions that affect your life or maybe affect your church? They might affect the way you practice your faith, all of the, your, you know, all of those things. And they're not doing it by law. They're doing it by edict where they just sort of assume they have the ability and nobody calls them out. These are some things to pray for for our country. As you think about the Supreme Court, and like I said, I don't think this is going to be as controversial as some simply because it doesn't change the makeup of the court, and there'll be some some mud thrown and some sharp comments, but that has a lot to do with creating commercials for re-election campaigns in the fall. Uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson, she's going to be on the Supreme Court. Uh, unless something crazy comes out, she, that's going to happen. Um, pray for her. Pray for her because she's somebody who has a Christian background. She knows what the gospel is. Presumably she's heard it. I don't know where she stands on those things ultimately. But I know how powerful it would be if her opinion, this is from my opinion, but if her opinion is different from most liberal justices on issues like abortion, she would have a very powerful voice there if her faith guides the way she thinks legally. She can't write a decision saying, well, my faith tells me, so therefore. But the way what we think about God affects the way we think about everything else. I think it matters greatly. All right, my friends, this hour, you can pick it up later on the podcast at kkla.com. Just look for SoCal Live, and you can get the podcast. I hope this is helpful for you. I want us to be able to look at these issues from a Christian perspective and get a little deeper in them, which is not only for our own benefit, but also in our conversations with each other. And the next hour coming up, we're going to talk about free speech. And I want to know, do you feel like we're losing the ability to speak freely about whatever it is? There's some interesting information about that that has come out. And you can give me a call on that subject. The number is 888-528-2557. 888-LA-TALKS is the number. This is your Monday edition of Southern California Live right here on KKLA. It's great to be with you. I am Scott Furrow, and we'll be back for hour two In just a couple of moments, do not go away.